Acts chapter 2 and Leviticus chapter 23. We're continuing our study through the book of Acts. And, you know, I read through commentaries. I try to cross-reference and and understand different things. And sometimes things in certain commentaries just jump out at you. And I was, so Dalton Robertson, he's copying us. He's preaching through the book of Acts. But he started like, I don't know, three weeks ago, a month ago. And I think he's already ahead of us in the book. But we were talking about Pentecost and how, for a preacher, Pentecost is so significant that we could spend the rest of the year just studying what happened at Pentecost. And so before last Sunday, so it would have been Saturday, I was talking with him about how I was wrestling with, how do I present this information? There's so much. It can be technical. It can be devotional. It can be prophetic. There's so many ways to do it. And, and honestly, I was a little overwhelmed with all the information. So last Sunday, I never even actually got to my sermon. I'm, I'm preaching last Sunday's sermon this Sunday because I just wanted to give you all an overview of it. But one of the things he said, just read some real practical guys. Read Warren Wearsby. Read John Phillips and see what, what they have to say about it. How many of you have ever read Warren Wearsby, something that he has written? Um, and then John Phillips, you hear me quote him all the time. But they're generally, they're giving you kind of a survey of the book or just an overview of the book. It's pretty quick, the information they have. What was interesting is they both said almost exactly the same things about this text. So what I did was I took Wearsby's stuff and Phillips' stuff and combined it into one sermon. So nothing I read to you will be original. This is all from Phillips and Wearsby. But it was so good, I had to tell you about it. And this is going to be really... Are you all excited? If you're not excited, turn up your excitement meter because this is really cool what I get to show you. So make sure that you have Acts 2 and Leviticus 20. How many of you don't get excited when I say turn to Leviticus? <laughs> this is going to be pretty cool today. So let's look at... The, at uh, at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Lord, help us as we study your word. Thank you for these men of God who have uh, labored to publish material and we get to learn from it today. But more than anything, thank you for recording it in the word and that we have it to study. So, Father, help us as we Look at these truths today as we look at the scripture. Lord, please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. It says in verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Isn't that interesting? It was fully come. It was fully come. One of my favorite statements was, is from John Phillips. He said this, the day of Pentecost had come 1,500 times before. Now it was fully come. Man, when I read that, I had to stop and think about it. But, so how many of you have heard the word Pentecost before? It, your whole life, any of us who've been in church? We've heard about this event our whole lives. I never thought about it coming 1,500 times before this. Now, though, it was fully come. It, it's almost like God had a plan. Almost. And when you see what the Feast of Pentecost was intended, how, how it was uh, practiced, the information is given to us in Leviticus chapter 26, 
It's unbelievable. So what I need you to do is hold your place in Acts 2, and I need you to make sure that you keep Leviticus 23. Did I say 26? It's Leviticus 23. I need you to hold Leviticus 23, and then we're going to 1 Corinthians. So however you need to do that, take an offering envelope or whatever you need to do, let's, uh, I, I want you to have these passages in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you, use the one on your phone or look under the, the seat in front of you. We'll have a Bible provided for you. You're going to want one. All right? So now, let's go to Leviticus. You know, you know before we do that, let's do the First Corinthians first. So, the, notice what it says in Acts 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. What's the day of Pentecost? It's one of the Jewish feasts. Three times a year, every Jewish male from around the world was supposed to come to the temple. Three times a year they were supposed to do that. Pentecost is one of those times. So, there are seven Jewish feasts. And each of those feasts prophesied Jesus Christ. Jesus has fulfilled the first four of those feasts. He will fulfill the next three. The fact that he has fulfilled the first four is the promise that he will fulfill the last three. So let's look at some of that this morning because this day of Pentecost, it's not just a random day. What happened on that day was prophesied in Leviticus chapter 23. But look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now remember, the, the book of Corinthians is written to Gentiles at the church at Corinth, and it's God's book of divine order. First and Second Corinthians are God's books of divine order. And in those books, God gives us how he wants things to be done. And you'll notice there is an order even in this verse. So, look at what it says in verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Now, don't miss that. Please do not miss that. Leaven in the Bible represents what? Sin. Okay, let's say that again. Leaven in the Bible represents... All right, so here it says, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven that ye may be a new lump. That'd be a great sermon. Let's be new lumps. All right? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. It's very interesting. Purge out the leaven, but ye are unleavened. That's that same thing. That's the new man and the old man. My new man. How many of you are saved? You know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're born again. Then you're perfect, sinless in Christ. You are ab- let, as many as of, as of as many of us as be perfect. We are perfect in Christ. There's no sin in Christ. If you're saved, you are in Christ. That means that Jesus Christ has saved you from your sin, washed all of it away. Your sins aren't covered. They are gone. And you are in Christ Jesus. So again, let's look at the verse. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, 
as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So that, remember, at the Passover lamb, that, that, that God told them in Exodus chapter 11 or Exodus chapter 12, that you got to get ready, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna leave. He said, because when I pass over the land, you had better take a lamb and take a hyssop branch and slay that lamb, sacrifice it to me, and take that blood and put it on the, the lentil and on the side posts of the door. What does that do when you put it on the lentil and on the side posts? What is that picture? It's a cross. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That'd be a good song, wouldn't it? Man, what an important event that was. When Jesus Christ was crucified, do you know what day it was? It was the 14th of Nisan. It was the Passover. He was crucified as the Passover lamb on the day of the Passover feast. Christ is our Passover. And when his blood is applied to your account, the wrath of God just passes right over you. Ooh, my goodness. Jesus Christ is our Passover. There is no sin in Jesus Christ. He was that absolutely sinless sacrifice. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss what we're reading here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Because this relates to these other feasts that we're going to see. The, so the first feast is the feast of Passover. Jesus Christ is our Passover. The second feast is the feast of unleavened bread. At the feast of unleavened bread, what they were to do, and it was in the same week as the, as the Passover week. So during that week of unleavened bread, they are to clean out the house. They take all the furniture out, the, out of the house. They sweep the house. They check all the cabinets. They make sure there's no leaven anywhere in there. Because it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's the Feast of Separation. And during that feast, what did Jesus Christ say? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus Christ was in the grave. He was in the tomb during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He went to preach the gospel to the souls in hell during that time. He led captivity captive. He took paradise with him back to heaven. Because no one could go to heaven until the blood of Jesus Christ had paid for sin. And then Jesus Christ appears to his disciples. But what had to happen between, so you have the crucifixion on Passover, you have Jesus Christ fulfilling the feast of unleavened bread during his three days and three nights in the grave. What's the next significant event that happened? The resurrection. Can we say that again? Uh, I'm feeling like such a failure as a pastor right now. Now, you might have been wanting me to, you might have thought I was asking you what the next feast was. Well, there's that. But what's the, what's the next significant event after the crucifixion and the burial? What's the next significant event? Okay, I feel affirmed now. <laughs> I, I'm not a failure as a pastor. When did he rise? He rose on the feast of first fruits. What was the feast of first fruits? 
We're not going to take the time to look at it, but it's listed right there in Leviticus 23, right before the Feast of Pentecost. That Feast of first fruits, what happened was they would go out, the crops had just come up, they'd cut down some wheat, and they would bind those stalks together in a sheaf. And you've all seen pictures of that, stalks of wheat wrapped together. They would take that stalk and wave it before the Lord as a sacrifice. It was called a wave offering, the first fruit. And what did it represent? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, look at verse 20. I, I love verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead, look at this, and become the, what's that word? First fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Praise God for that. As a matter of fact, I just decided while I was reading that, that's the text I'm going to preach on Easter Sunday. Isn't that a good text to look at when we think about the resurrection of Christ? But Jesus Christ is our first fruits. So we see he is our Passover. He was crucified on Passover. He was separated from the Father. He was in the grave during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He was the, the first fruits. He rose from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. Isn't it amazing how, don't miss this, the Feast of First Fruits is on a specific day. That's the day Jesus rose from the dead, the first day of the week. Why? Because it's something new that is being begun. So, the day of Pentecost is also one of those feasts that Jesus Christ is going to fulfill. How, what happened on that day? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Isn't it fun that all of this is in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and look at verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Now, if you mark your Bible, that's a, one body would be a really good thing for you to mark right there. Because that one body did not exist until Pentecost. Why? For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. And then let's just read the rest of the verse. It says, whether we be, huh. What are those next two words? Three words. Jews or Gentiles. Whether we be bond or free. and Slave, servant, owner, whatever. That's what it's saying. It says, for by one spirit. Are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit? Praise God. That's what happened. So Jesus Christ fulfilled Pentecost just as he fulfilled Passover, just as he fulfilled unleavened bread, just as he fulfilled first fruits. He fulfilled Pentecost. What's the next feast? The next feast is the Feast of Trumpets. That's not the rapture. That's when Jesus Christ comes and sets foot on the Mount of Olives and begins to rule and reign. What happens during that time? Right as Jesus returns, they look on him, according to Zechariah chapter 12, whom they have pierced, 
and they weep because they see who they pierced. And in Zechariah chapter 13, they call on him. They say, you are our Lord. You are our God. And he says, you are my people. That's the day of atonement. That's the next feast. The feast of trumpets, Jesus Christ will return. The feast of, uh, the, the, the feast of, the, the, the day of atonement, Jesus Christ saves them. The Bible says, and all Israel shall be saved. And all Israel is saved in the day of atonement. And then what happens? The feast of tabernacles. What is that? That's when Jesus Christ dwells with them for a thousand years. He tabernacles with them for a thousand years. Jesus is going to fulfill, he is going to fulfill all of those feasts. Now you understand why Peter said what he said. Because Jesus said, there'd be some of you standing here today that will not die. Some of you of this generation shall not die until you see the Son of Man return in his glory. Well, the next week they're on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus Christ is transfigured before them. And they see some of his glory. And Moses and Elijah are there. And they knew that Moses and Elijah are the forerunners of Christ. They knew that. And so they're, they're there. And Peter, he said, let's build three tabernacles. Why? Because he understood what the Feast of Tabernacles was about. It was that Jesus Christ was going to tabernacle with his people. He just got his timing all out of whack. And that's why he said we have a more sure word of prophecy, the word of God, more than what we think the Bible is saying. So Jesus fulfilled all of those feasts. So let's see how he fulfilled Pentecost. This is so fun, okay? Now, now we're going to go back to Wearsby and Phillips, all right? Leviticus chapter 23. I'll read what Philip said here. The day of Pentecost had come 1,500 times before. Now it was fully come. It had come and gone, come and gone, ever since Moses instituted the feast. Now it had come to stay. Really cool. And I can just picture him. He was a little British guy, and he would preach. He'd stand at the pulpit, and I can just picture him. He'd say, now it had come. Stay. I can just see him say that. I, I preached with him over in Columbus once, and I preached from Hebrews. I preached before him, and he got up and announced my exact same text. I'm a young preacher. I'm probably 35, 36 years old, and I thought, oh, no, I have messed this up, and John Phillips is going to correct me in front of this whole crowd and he preached something completely different. Afterwards, he was actually a very shy man. Afterwards, I walked up to him and said, Dr. Phillips, I loved your, your message. And thank you for not correcting my sermon. He said, oh, I would never do that. I would never do that. Just a precious little man. I'll tell you what's interesting about Phillips. I'll get back to my sermon in a second. Um, so my friend Mark Rasmussen, some of you know Mark Rasmussen. Mark Rasmussen took John Phillips' place at Moody Bible Institute. So John Phillips was over the Old Testament and New Testament survey courses at, uh, at Moody Bible Institute for years and years and years. It was a correspondence course. And Mark Rasmussen took that over. And so he told me this just last week, a week before last, or Dr. Rasmussen did. 
John Phillips never went to college. And the way that God used him all of these years in such an amazing way, what an amazing mind, what an amazing teacher of God's word. I'm just very thankful. I'm very thankful for Dr. Phillips. All right, so on the day of Pentecost in the old times, the Jews took individual grains of corn, ground them into... So remember what happened on first fruits. They took those first fruits and they'd wave them before the Lord. On Pentecost, let's read what happens before I read what Philip says about it. So we're in uh, Leviticus chapter 23 and look at verse 15. And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. This is after first fruits. And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. So seven, a, a, a week of Sabbaths. So the Jews will call this the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. Because it is a week of Sabbaths starting from the day after the Feast of Firstfruits or the Sabbath of Firstfruits. All right, so let's read it again, verse 15. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow, after the seventh Sabbath, shall ye number 50 days. That's what we get the term Pentecost, Penta for 50. And ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Now remember in your Old Testament, meat can be flesh or it can be bread or grain. This is going to be uh, both. Ye shall bring out of your habitation two wave loaves, not a sheaf of grain bound together, but actually a loaf, a wave, two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon. What are those next two words? Read them out loud. That ought to jump out at you. What, what, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 5, 7? He, he wants us to purge out the old leaven, that we might be made a new lump, though we are unleavened. Leaven is always a sign of sin. Why does God want leaven in this offering on Pentecost? All right, verse 17 again. You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals, and they shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. Huh. And ye shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year. Oh, wow. And one young bullock and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord with their meat offering and their drink offerings. Even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord, then ye shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest." And ye shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be an holy convocation unto you. And ye shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. Now look it. 
This is so cool when we see this. Okay, let me just read to you now what John Phillips said about this sacrifice. On the day of Pentecost in old times, the Jews took individual grains of corn, ground them into flour, added oil and leaven, and made two loaves of bread. The loaves were then offered to the Lord along with the sacrifice of seven lambs without blemish, one young bullock, two rams for burnt offering, ten sacrifices in all to symbolize the perfection and completeness of Calvary. We could break down each and every one of these. You have us bringing our sin to the Lord. You have Jesus Christ on the cross, that perfect sacrifice, those seven lambs that are sacrificed. What is the kid? What is that? This goat that they offer. That is the, that is the scapegoat. That's all of our sin being placed on this scapegoat. And it is a sin offering before the Lord. And then ultimately a peace offering. Why? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All of that is signified on the day of Pentecost. But none of it was fulfilled until Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Let's break this down a little bit. All symbolized, again Phillips, all symbolized what took place 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. Pentecost always fell. Listen, this is good. Pentecost always fell on the first day of the week, symbolizing even in Old Testament typology the end of the Sabbath and the consecration of a new day for a new dispensation. Why do we get together on Sunday? Why don't we worship on Saturday? Why do we worship on Sunday? Because it's the first day of the week. That's when the Holy Spirit was sent. That's when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's when the saints gathered together to worship in in the early church. It's a new day. Pentecost changed everything. And the Feast of Pentecost told us that was going to happen. It's amazing. Are you all as excited about this as I am? All right. Some of you aren't. I can tell. All right. All this was highly significant. The oil typified the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, the oil always represents the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. For instance, this is amazing, the inclusion of leaven in the loaves was unusual, for leaven was rigorously excluded from other meat offerings because it is a type of sin. The ordinary meal offerings symbolized Christ, who is holy, free from sin, Leaven, listen, leaven was included in the loaves of Pentecost, however, because those loaves typified the church, and the church has never been free from sin. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, Look, cheer up, you're a lot worse than you think you are, right? It is wonderful that in Grace Baptist Church, some people might say, I'm not holy enough to go to that church. Trust me, you are. Because we're just a bunch of sinners that Jesus Christ has saved. When you are saved, you are sinless in Christ, in your flesh. You are just a sinner. And that's what all of us are. That's what the church is. The, and, but we are in Christ. So th- this is so fun. Again, Phillips, the burnt offering aspect of Calvary was occupied by the sacrifice of one kid of the goats for a sin offering and two yearling lambs for a peace offering symbolizing the ground on which the believer has perfect peace with God. Next, at the Feast of First Fruits, individual stalks of grain loosely bound together were used to symbolize the resurrection of Christ and his own and, his own and their triumph over death. 
On the day of Pentecost, those individual stalks and grains, listen, were replaced by a loaf, one homogenous body to symbolize what would happen when the day of Pentecost would be fully come. Now, I want to read this next. It's hard to listen. I should have put it on a slide for you. But listen, listen to this. This is, this is really cool. On that day, Pentecost, 120 individual believers loosely bound together by the bonds of Christ ascended the stairs into the upper room with one accord. One body of believers came down. Individuals went up. A church came down. That's what happened on Pentecost. That feast, that bread, it's ground together. And listen, we are stuck together in this place. That's us. Our sin and all. We are bound to one another in the church. Now, ultimately, we're bound together in Christ. Amen? But in this body, we bear one another's burdens. When one weeps, we all weep. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. That's what the church is. And that's what's signified on the day of Pentecost. We are all one. Now, not only that, check this out. The fact that two loaves were used in the Old Testament ritual is equally significant. There was to be a second Pentecost, so to speak, sometime later, in the house of Cornelius. Remember we've talked about that? Where in chapter 11, Peter is explaining to the other apostles that the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles as he did on us at the beginning. Remember we've been looking at that? That's kind of a second Pentecost. Here, it's Jews and proselytes that the Holy Spirit falls on. Later, the Holy Spirit falls on Gentiles. So, the fact that two loaves were used in the Old Testament ritual is equally significant. There was to be a second Pentecost, so to speak, sometime later in the house of Cornelius, which would bring Gentiles into that one body on an equal basis with the Jews. Now, don't mistake this. Don't mistake this. That happened on the day of Pentecost. But it was acted out again in Acts chapter 10 so the disciples could understand what had happened. Do you all understand what I just said? They were already one. The apostles just didn't know it. Okay? Those two loaves. Thereafter, in God's sight, there would neither be Jew nor Gentile, so far as the church was concerned, but one body. Now, I'll show you something fun. You can keep your place in Leviticus. I can't remember if we're going back there or not. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Again, I love it that this is all in 1 Corinthians. Phillips didn't point this out, but Wearsby did. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 17. You, some of you might be saying, why do you keep saying Wearsby and Phillips and, and all of that? Um, because I, I don't like, I use other people's stuff all the time. When I'm actually just reading what they said, I want you to know who it was, okay? Look at verse uh, 17. For we, being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. What's that one bread? The bread of life. We... You say, that's a stretch that we're the bread. What, the Bible says it. The Bible actually says that we are. Um, the loaves of bread with leaven were presented that day, a picture of the church composed of Jews and Gentiles. So back to Philip's 
Thus, that which was scriptural and essential was about to take place. The unique coming of the Holy Spirit as promised by the Savior and as predicted in Scripture, along with that which was scriptural and essential, has come. So that Feast of Pentecost, it was fully fulfilled. You have the the two loaves. That's the, the meal ground together with the leaven. Two different loaves, Jews and Gentiles. All of us, you don't have to be perfect to be in the church. You just have to be saved and baptized. You come into one body. And all of it with the oil, it represents what happened when Jesus Christ saves us. And we give all the glory to God. How does Christ fulfill Pentecost? This is, I learned this. I, I, this is something I have just learned in the last two weeks. It's so fun. I've preached on these feasts. How many of you have heard me preach on the feasts before? We've talked about that over and over again. And I talk about how Christ fulfilled the Feast of Pentecost when he sent the Holy Spirit. But that's not the only way he fulfilled it. He fulfilled it by gathering Jews together in one body. Even though we are sinners. By the Holy Spirit of God. That's what Jesus Christ did on Pentecost. How many of you are thankful that you're saved? Anybody here that needs to get saved? You're not born again yet. You need to trust Christ as your Savior. You want to raise your hand? Any of you? Don't, don't be embarrassed. All of us have gotten saved. All right, let's all stand together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. What a joy it is to preach it.